Gonna have bubble reading now. Today's reading is from Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptised with the baptism with which I am baptised? And they said to him, we are able and Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptised, you will be baptised. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called, to them, called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, that who would, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ralph. <clears throat> Morning, everyone. Good Friday. And my voice is a bit croaky, so I've just been crook, but it's all good. <clears throat> so you have to put up with me, which is like a d doubly bad thing, right? That and a croaky voice. <clears throat> so there you go. Um, well, you know, in the past few years, Disney, does everyone know Disney? Yeah, good. Okay. Just make sure we're on the same page. What's Disney? Um, so Disney has been um, sort of uh, recreating some of their classic films. They've been taking the cartoon films and then um, reworking them into uh, real adult films, I, I suppose if you want to say, uh, with real characters, uh, actors and actresses and, and all that stuff, okay? So recently they, they did one, um, Aladdin. You guys know Aladdin, yes? Okay, and of course the genie was played by none other than Will Smith, which sort of made the movie, because when you're sort of worried about a movie, you just throw Will Smith in and you make money. So, nevertheless, in the movie, 
Will Smith, very end, sorry, spoiler alert, coming. Uh, he gets, he's the genie. And, you know, if, if you find a genie in a bottle, you get three wishes, right? And what does Aladdin wish for in his final wish? He says, genie, I wish you to be set free, right? You, um, his third and final wish is that the genie no longer has to be, uh, oh, thank you, Jules, appreciate it. Unless that's for yourself and you're about to sit down. <laughs> That'd be really awkward. She's like, it's for me. So, um, if you've seen the movie, or even if you've seen the cartoon movie, that's what happens. The genie is no longer a uh, slave to, he's no longer confined to his, um, and Will Smith makes it classic, right? You know, everywhere he turns, brass, brass, or, you know, whatever. But, like, he, he's no longer confined to his, his, his bottle uh, or his whatever it is. <coughs> and he's no longer a servant to whoever finds him. Now, it's interesting, though that's just a mythical story, I still, I still was, part, I was partly touched at the end because there's something, there's something encouraging and right when you see someone in bondage liberated, right? It's, even though, again, <laughs> it's like a mythical story, it nevertheless, we don't want to see people in bondage and slavery. That's inhumane. That, that's wrong, right? It's degrading. So, so we can celebrate, and rightly so, we can celebrate the, this idea of someone being liberated from slavery. Now, I say all that because this idea of being liberated or set free might not be the first thought that comes to your mind when you think of Good Friday, right? Like you think of Good Friday, and often most people think of Good Friday, and it's like, isn't that about the... Jesus that got bashed, and poor guy. And then it sort of just ends there. Why did he get bashed? What happened with all of that? What's going on there? What's, what's his work achieving? So it's interesting. This, this idea of setting the captives free um, is the kind of imagery that Jesus, just a week before Good Friday, just a week before Good Friday, it's the kind of imagery, it's the kind of picture that he uses to describe his work on the cross. He says this in Mark 10. We just, we just looked at this, 45. He says, look at it. For even the Son of Man came, that he's, that's referring to himself, came not to be served, but to serve and catch this, to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, ransom isn't a word we typically hear very much. I suppose you can think of the cheesy movie with what's-his-name from years ago, yeah, <laughs> Mel Gibson. You guys can claim him when you want, right? So, you know, you, you might, but you don't hear ransom very often. Uh, it's a marketplace term, like the payment of a price in order to purchase the freedom of a slave or a POW, a prisoner of war. But here's the deal. You go, okay, that's nice. Uh, I'm not going to remember that. It's ransom means something about purchasing somebody or whatever. Okay. If that's true, and Jesus said, for the Son of Man, referring to himself, came not to serve, but to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many, it begs the question then, if you're paying attention, it begs the question, you're all enslaved. <laughs> Actually, every one of us, when we enter this world, does it not? Because how is he setting anyone free if they're not already enslaved first? 
wow, that's really interesting, isn't it? It, it, it? it makes the assumption that humanity is enslaved and needs to be set free. Now, why did Jesus understand his death this way? I mean, there's a lot of different metaphors for the cross, but why, why this idea of redemption or ransom? Why? Let me, let me push it further. I wonder how this would sit with you if I said something like this. The entire human race, everyone, from the moment they took their first breath, are enslaved. All people enter this world in bondage and they need to be set free. I wonder how that would sit with you. And I'm, I'm, I'm not banging on on some narrative that's popular lately. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Literally saying, if all people need to be set free, all of you need to be set free. I mean, I just wonder how that would sit with you. Some of you would think I'm a bit nuts, right? Some of you would say, now this is why I only come to church once a year because this, is, this guy's insane and I'm just going to count down the minutes now until I can leave. But some of you, for argument's sake, you might say, okay, if that's true, if that's true and people are enslaved, well, all right. Who exactly are they enslaved to? Who are they in bondage to? And how exactly are they liberated, delivered, set free? Like, how does that work? That's what I want to think about for this Good Friday. So what we're going to do this morning is, is look at a text from Mark's Gospel. And I want us to see three things. First, I want us to see a ridiculous request. A ridiculous request. Second, it's funny how many people popped their heads up for that one. It's, it worked. Second, I want us to see a radical reorientation. So first a ridiculous re request, and then a radical reorientation from that request, and then lastly, a ransom life. So three points. A ridiculous request in verse 35 through 37, a radical reorientation in verse 42 through 44, and third, a ransom life in verse 45. And may God glorify himself as his word is taught. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign. Lord, no one is here by accident. You know the hearts and minds of every soul. Lord, you created us in your image. And every single person, Lord, as your word says, has is, is come into this world into bondage. We thank you, Lord, that you came to set the captives free. Lord, you came to give your life in the place of sinners as a ransom for many. We pray that you would speak now and give clarity as your word is taught. Open eyes, quicken hearts, for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. So Jesus and his disciples are on their way towards Jerusalem, as we just sang, and he announces for the third time that he is going to suffer and die. This is the third time he's predicted his death. This theme of a suffering Messiah is repeated over and over again in Mark's gospel, yet the disciples don't get it right? And if you have to repeat something three times, if you're a teacher, usually that's a hint. You're not getting it. Disciples don't get it. In fact, there's two brothers, these two blokes, and they begin having this conversation. It's amazing. Jesus has just said, look guys, 
I'm going up to Jerusalem, and everything that the prophets have written about me is going to happen. And then these two brothers go, oh, yeah, I wonder if we can have front row seats in this kingdom. I mean, I mean look, look at this. Look at verse 35. So Mark <coughs> chapter 10, verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Alrighty then. That's a bit audacious. Matthew, Matthew in his gospel actually indicates that their mama put him up to it. Right? Thanks, mom. So, anyway, Jesus plays along. All right, boys, what are you after? Lord, we know that we're on the way to Jerusalem, and we know what that means. When we get there, it's on, right? You're going to set up your kingdom. You're going you're gonna to smash the Romans. And, and we've been waiting for this. And, and when that happens, is it cool if we just have front row seats, like, reserved for us? I mean, you're the boss. You're the boss. But in terms of order of rank, can we just sort of be right under you? Is that, is that cool? All right. Is that it, boys? <laughs> Let's look at verse 37. You, you see it here. Um, sorry, verse 36. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left. Again, they're likely under the impression that once they arrive in Jerusalem, Jesus is going to destroy the Romans. And clearly, they're, after their own, they're chasing their own ambition here, right? Which is why Jesus says, you don't, look what he says in verse 38, you don't know what you're asking. And here's what's a bit shocking. Rather than Jesus sort of just say, you guys are the biggest doofuses in the world. I just told you why we're going up to Jerusalem. You guys are imbeciles. What he does patiently is he, I mean, that's what I would have done. I'm not Jesus. But, but he, just, he just slowly walks them through and he says, look, let me ask you some questions. Let me draw out here your motive. It's amazing. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? He tries to help these guys out, right? He's asking them some questions. Now, when he says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? It, it implies God's judgment and wrath. In the Old Testament, this idea of the fury of God, the cup of God's wrath being poured out on the nations is this idea of judgment. And, and Jesus says, I'm going to take the judgment of God upon myself. I'm going to drink that judgment down to the dregs. Are you, a, are you able to do that? <laughs> you know what the response is? Oh, we're king. Where do we sign up? Uh, clearly, they don't understand, right? I mean, look, look at, in verse 39, it says, oh yeah, we're, we're ready. You know what's interesting? Mark, the gospel of Mark, tends to show that the disciples sort of warts and all, all right? Um, he tends to show them in the worst sort of light. And I don't know about you, but I find that a bit assuring. Because how many times have I had mixed motives in ministry? I mean, how many times have I been invested into something because I can get what I want out of it? It's easy to sort of look at the disciples and go, oh, tisk, 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 these, these morons. Often we forget, don't we, that suffering precedes glory in this life. Suffering does precede glory. It was true for Jesus, it was true for the disciples, and it's true for everyone that would like to follow after him. 
The Bible says it's been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. That's why Jesus sets the record straight. He says, look, boys, sure, you'll have to carry your cross in this life. No doubt. We know that James is one of the first disciples that's killed in the book of Acts. John gets, you know, sent out to Patmos. So they do have to bear their cross, not to the extent that Jesus does, obviously. And he says, as for positions of power, look, that's, that's been settled long ago. And then he capitalizes on this moment to teach them a lesson. All right, gather around, gather around, boys. It's time to have a chat because you got it all backwards. And now we have this radical reorientation in verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. He's probably referring to the Romans. The Romans at this time had occupied Jerusalem and they knew firsthand that they were lording this authority over them. And he says, you know, you boys know that. You, you know that the Gentiles, these, these Roman rulers, yeah, 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 we know that. Well, leadership in my kingdom, guys, actually involves being a servant in verse 43. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Did you hear that? It's a good reminder for those of us who desire to follow after Jesus, the end game can't be our own security and self-fulfillment. Greatness in the kingdom isn't about getting kudos or even carrying a mantle of authority. It's about humble service. Now that's, I can say that up here. That's really easy to say. And you can even nod your head. But who wants to sign up for that during the week? <laughs> we're Westerners, right? Australians and Americans and Canadians, like we're God's gift to this green earth, aren't we? So like, you know, the idea of us serving other people? Mm. I mean, I like the idea of abstractly of someone else serving. Maybe I get paid to do a service, but, but I'm actually like serving someone, especially someone that doesn't deserve it? Mm, I'm not so sure about that. And Jesus says, that's the way it is in my kingdom. But do you know what's interesting? This is precisely why, it might surprise you, this is precisely why some people hate Christianity. It's, it's a religion of service, they would say. Um, a man named Frederick Nietzsche famously called Christianity a slave religion. He despised this notion of service. It enraged him. He even wrote a book called The Antichrist where he said this, I call Christianity the one great curse, the one great intrinsic depravity, and the one great instinct of revenge for which no means are venomous enough or secret or subterranean and small enough I call it the one immortal blemish on the human race. Well, okay. <laughs> but Jesus taught differently. Those to be honored most are those who serve. As Christians, Jesus calls us to labor for the good of others at our jobs rather than promote ourselves. He calls us to sacrifice our own interests for some other person at the workplace. Why? 
because it's as if we are seeing a reality that others don't see and are responding to things that they don't understand, and indeed we are. We are following this one who is the prime example of selfless sacrifice. Though he is the mighty son of God, his role is not to conquer, but to suffer and die on behalf of his people. Which brings us to our final point, a ransomed life. A ransomed life. Jacob, if you could throw, throw the verse up there one more time, because I want us to look carefully at this. I, I suppose if you wanted to post a tweet that sums up Good Friday, this, this could be it. For even the Son of Man came not to ser- be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Look carefully at the words here. Notice, the Son of Man came. He, was, he didn't just randomly arrive. He was actually sent. He was sent by God the Father. And why? To give his life as a ransom. Now, we'll come back to this word ransom in just a second. But don't miss the language. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Notice, for. Can you see the word there? For. Many. You can translate that instead of, for the sake of, meaning as a substitute. He stands in the place of sinners, dying vicariously for them. Everything has been leading up to this statement. Do you know that in the Gospel of Mark? Everything's been leading up to this point. His suffering is really, Jesus' suffering is really the focal point in Mark's Gospel. That's why some have called this book a passion narrative with an, extens- with an extended Introduction, meaning the main thing Mark wants to draw your attention to is what Jesus has done on the cross. Now, let's go back to this idea of ransom because it's still fascinating, isn't it? Remember the word ransom has this idea of a payment made to release someone from bondage. Remember, be that a POW or a slave or, or someone indentured, right? Now, but what does that have to do with Jesus and us? Well, again, all of us were born enslaved to sin. And Jesus had to pay the price to set us free. But it begs the question, as I said, it puts, I guess, I was talking to April about this this morning, and I was saying, the peculiar thing about Christianity in Australia in 2021 is, people don't, who, honestly, like if we were to go down to Avoca Beach right now, and (laughs) just walk up and go, hey mate, do you know you're enslaved? (laughs) What? No, I'm not. It's so foreign, right? It's just bizarre. Like, I'm not enslaved. I'm in, you know what? Get out of my face. I'm not enslaved to no one. And people like you make me feel enslaved or whatever, right? That people don't think this way. But Jesus, he, he, he forces just the words alone. If, if he comes, if, if Good Friday is about him coming as a ransom, it, he has to set free those who are enslaved. John Stott helpfully puts it this way. He says, the emphasis of, of the redemption image meaning this idea of ransom, the emphasis of the redemption image is on our sorry state. Indeed, our captivity in sin, which made an act of divine rescue necessary. You see, Jesus paid the price to set us free. But what was the price tag? If Jesus paid the price to set people that are which some of you are still probably sitting here now, captive, not Christian yet, haven't been released yet. But but you could be today, and we'll we'll talk about that. But if some people are are enslaved, and Jesus paid the price, what was it? Did he whip out a bag of cash? 
Did he kind of say, hey, Elon Musk, you got nothing, man. Watch this. Shh, I can tap more than you can tap. I mean, what, what, was, what, what, was, what was the price tag? What was, what was the payment? It was nothing other than his own blood. Listen to how Peter puts it. He says, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Listen, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without, without blemish or spot. Did you hear that? You were ransomed, not with money, but with the precious blood of Christ. The language is a picture of Jesus offering up his, his life for us. It also highlights the gory death he endured. Ephesians 1, 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. If you miss that one, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one more, Titus 2, 12, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Now that's all good stuff. Very good stuff. You know, that's why we're here. Like, I, I hope you understand that. Like, we don't just, at least that's why I'm here. I'm not here for, like, nostalgic religion. Like, if none of this was true, I would, like, yeah. Why, well, you're wasting your time. A and so that's why, we're, that's why we're here on Good Friday. That's why we're not, we're not down doing something else. That's why we're trying, I'm, and, 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 and that's why I'm trying to communicate these things to you in a way, hopefully, that's, it's clicking. But here's the question, though. Who was the ransom price paid to? Right? So, if, you know, Jesus shed his own blood, so he did it through his own death. Then who was the ransom? Was it to that guy in the pajama suit with the horns and the pitchfork, the devil? Was it, was it to Satan? Well, when we sin, are we doing so against Satan? Is Satan not a joint when we sin? <laughs> Like we sin against him, you've offended me. No, Satan's like, dude, send it up. Go to Vegas, go to the Gold Coast, and school these week. Do what you want, you know? Uh, I don't care. It's actually a good thing. So is Satan, he's not out of joint. He's not the one offended, right? His holiness isn't, isn't infringed upon. No, no. Who's sinned against? God Almighty, the one who made you. He is the one who's been offended. The ransom price was paid to God to satisfy his justice and wrath against sin, against our sin. Listen to Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb. He was like a lamb to the slaughter, led to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Then he says this a few verses later. Listen to this. This is really important. Particularly when you think of, um, do you remember the Passion of the Christ? Some of you aren't old enough to remember it. Some of you are old enough to remember it. But when that came out, I felt like the thing that I struggled with is I felt like, oh, people went and saw it and said, oh, poor bloke, he just, <laughs> just got bashed up. Someone should have helped him out. Not understanding what he was doing, right? Like you kind of, you're almost like pity the guy. Like, oh man, I'm glad that didn't, you know, poor guy. But, but, Isaiah says this, though he had no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, listen, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Did you hear that? 
It was the will of the Lord to crush him. The crucifixion, Good Friday, isn't about some poor bloke getting bashed. It, and this is what he says later, the next verse. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, and through the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. Did you hear that? His life in the place of sinners. His death in the place of sinners. That's what Good Friday is ultimately about. Jesus coming as that sacrificial lamb, dying in the place of sinners. Now, I actually want to show you a scene from The Passion of the Christ, uh, a couple different scenes edited together. And I'd encourage you to reflect upon this idea of Jesus dying in the place of sinners and this idea of ransom. And then I'm going to come up and we're going to um, say a couple more things and then have some time of communion. So um, I encourage you to watch. These are just a couple of different scenes from The Passion of the Christ and fitting given that it's, it's Good Friday. So let's, let's have that sort of those glasses as we, as we have a look at this. Um, the scene.
So in his death, Jesus paid the ransom price <coughs> of his life as a payment in the place of sinners. Jesus gave his life, died on a cross, as a ransom for many, it says. That, those scenes are brutal, right? But that's not nasty. Like, I was talking to my kids this week, and I was like, wow, why, why that, right? Because that's nasty. Sin is. Do you remember, remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the very beginning? If you eat of this tree, you will surely what? Die. Death. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. You know, I wonder if you've embraced that. It's deceiving to come to a Good Friday service and sort of watch that sort of going by like a train. And you just, but I wonder if you've actually like embraced it and by faith. You know, until you do, until you come to the place where you see the heinousness of your own sin and as an offense to God, realize that you're enslaved and actually turn to Jesus for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life, all of that stuff does nothing for you, actually. It might make you emotional. might make you sort of like, oh, that's really sad. But in terms of saving you, it does nothing. That's why you have to turn to Jesus. Turn from your sin and place your faith in that crucified Messiah. In his life, he made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is your only hope of forgiveness. Will you turn to him today? You can be forgiven of all those. You know, think about it. Every time you sinned, even this last week, the Lord saw every one of your thoughts, every one of your motives. Every single time you sinned, it offended him. And you, you are justly separated from him. Are you, have, you, have you turned to Christ? Are you trusting in Jesus now for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life? You can. You can today. So I'd encourage you, friend, don't leave. Just walk out and grab a hot cross bun and off go with the beautiful day. Evaluate this. Think on it. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you again for your word. Thank you that Good Friday is a time to come together and to remember that the Lord Jesus was sent not to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Lord, we pray that the many would be those that are here. Would you grant them faith? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you're here and you are a Christian, look, if you're here and you're sorting that out, fantastic. But this time of communion is actually not for people that are sorting it out. These are for people that are really saying, yes, I am a Christian by faith alone in Jesus.